Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. God is good and all the time. Friends, I want to remind you that we will, uh, at the end of the message this morning, we will receive communion together. And so if you're at home and you're following along, this would be the appropriate time to run into your kitchen and to find something to use to participate in communion. If you're here with us in person and you did not receive one of those small communion cups, you did not have one, just go ahead and raise your hand and Claire, who just gave announcements, will make sure everybody gets one. If you did not get one, I see only one hand up here in the front. Maybe we have, do we have them over there for the kids? We need one more over here in the front row. All right, very cool. And so if, uh, if you realize you don't have one and you didn't realize it now, just make sure you uh, have something ready for it with you as we prepare for communion in just a few moments. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, in person today. I got to be honest with you, it just feels good to be around people. Uh, for everybody who's at home, everybody who I'm looking at right now is wearing a mask. And they have their mask up above their nose, and they're very comfortable being here. We're sitting every fourth pew, and so no one is sitting near anybody unless they came with them. Um, and so it is, um, it is just a safe place. We want to invite you to come back and join in with us as you feel comfortable um, and as you're ready. But we are uh, setting a goal to have everybody back in this space together for Easter Sunday. So Easter Sunday is just one month away, and so want to set a goal to make sure that everybody um, is able to get back with us in person for Easter Sunday. So whatever you need to do between now and then to ready your hearts for that, please um, please go ahead and do that, and, uh, and then slowly make your way back with us in the weeks ahead of us. We're in week three of this Lenten series as we go through the I Am passages. Now, I want to set you up really well to say I believe next week, if I'm not mistaken, next week we have a special treat that our very own Connections pastor, Pastor Ricky, will be preaching next week. So I'm expecting the masses to come back out together. That is next week. Am I correct, Pastor Ricky? That's next week. Yeah, I got the thumbs up in the back. He's ready to go next week. So you can join him next Saturday night at Wissahickon at 5.30. And then you can join him again next Sunday morning here. Um, That'll be a great time. So make sure you join us on one or both of those occasions as we get into it. But today's passage is about I am the door, Jesus saying that he is the door. Now let me set you up, get something to write with, get ready to take a note. If you don't have something to write with, get your phone out and give your, send yourself a message because there is a question I'm going to ask and I want to encourage you to, to have a response to it, to have a response to it. So here is the question. Let me see, hands up if you're ready. You're ready to, to take notes somehow. Just take a note somehow. It doesn't matter how you're doing it. Maybe you're taking it on a device, you're writing it down, doesn't matter what it is. You can text it to somebody else, and then they'll be like, what's that question about? You say, I just got to answer that question, so I wanted to make sure somebody was looking at it. All right, here's the question. How are my actions evidence of areas of my life where I have not yet trusted God? How are my actions evidence of areas of my life where I have not yet trusted God. I'll say it one more time because I know it's a long question. How are my actions evidence of areas of my life where I have not yet trusted 
God. I believe this passage that we're looking at points to a, a number of things that'll help us to work through. And before we dive uh, deeper into the sermon, let me just pull out a couple, of, a couple of things from the text that we just read. The first thing I want to identify in that text that we read is that Jesus says that there's two different folks who try to come into the, into the sheep pen. The first are people who try to come in some way other than the door. And those folks who try to come in, he says they are thieves and robbers. They are people who come in with ill intent. They are people who come in with a desire to steal and to destroy. What Jesus is talking about, he said, he's saying that there are folks who are led by the evil one. And the evil one has one unique desire. His desire is to thwart your relationship with the Lord. Satan has one goal, one goal, and it's to break, it's to, it's, to, it's to intervene or get in the way of your relationship with Christ. He comes to steal and to destroy. Jesus, as he's talking, he says, anybody who climbs in in some other way other than through the door, through the gate, anybody who tries to find their way in in some other direction is coming in with ill intent. Now, you and I are sitting here thinking, well, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot with sheep. You know, I don't really understand the sheep gate thing. I don't, I, don't, I don't play around in the sheep pen. But later on, we understand through the passage that, that we're the sheep, that you and I are the sheep. And anyone who seeks to come into and get in the way of relationship between the people of God and God himself come with malintent. Second thing I just want, to, want us to kind of hang, hang on to this morning from this passage is Jesus calls uh, for us to not only know his voice, but to follow his voice. To not only know his voice, but to follow his voice. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that in a little bit. But you probably remember or you probably have seen, um, Rick, I'm just going to give you a heads up. This is not sounding real clear up here to me. I'm getting a lot back to me. You probably, you probably remember, you probably have seen that, um, that there's a video that's going around of a, of a small child. I mean, just, just maybe, maybe six months, maybe eight months, probably a year old. And the small child was born with some kind of um, disconnect that has not allowed them to be able to hear. And it took a long time for them to identify what that disconnect was and what the problem was. But the video that's going around is the first time that this child actually receives hearing aids. And the child puts on the hearing, I mean, the, the doctor puts the hearing aids on to the child. And the child is, uh, is being held by the physicians, but in the background is the child's mother. And the child's mother is, is singing a song that you would imagine she sung when the baby was in the belly. And for the very first time, the baby hears his mama's voice. And you see him light up and turn to his mother and kind of reach out. And it's this, this joyful picture of him knowing her voice and being drawn to her voice. Well, let me ask you an important question. Do you know the voice of your heavenly father? 
Do you know the voice of the one who created you? Do you know the voice of the one who desires to be in relationship with you? Do you have a special place where you go to sit and to quietly and still and, and in a still moment to, to listen to the voice of your father? Maybe that's here. Maybe you come and you sit in a sanctuary and, and you find when you're here that you're overwhelmed with a, a sense of peace and you, 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 you discern that you're hearing from God. Maybe you have a, a closet that you go in and you kneel down and you pray and, and that's an intimate space where you go to hear the voice of God. Maybe you sit in a certain seat on the bus every day when you go to work and while you're motoring through the city of Philadelphia, you're praying and thinking and listening and you're hearing the voice of God. Maybe you have a certain practice that you participate in where you listen to the scripture that's being read and then you meditate on that scripture and you hear the voice of God. Let me say it this. It doesn't have to be some foreign and crazy thing. But I think every one of us are getting our hearing aids put on, and when we have them on, we turn because we hear our Father's voice, and we reach out to our Heavenly Father because we know His voice. I mean, the Bible says that those who know Him know His voice and are obedient to it. Friends, I'm going to ask you later on, but do you know the voice of your Heavenly Father? Do you know the voice of the one who calls you? Do you know the voice of the one who saved you? Do you know the voice of the one who sets you forward into the trajectory that only he can have for you? Now we'll get to the message. There are three things I want us to identify this morning as we continue through this story. And the first one, in order to do this, we've got to divide the generations. Even in this room today, we've got some generations. And we're going to do a little generational divide, okay? All right, so stay with me. If you're at home, you can participate along. Let Pastor Ricky know which one of these you fit into. But um, Pastor Crawford, you and I are going to go on a, on a walk. We're going we're gonna, to, actually, we're going to go on a, on a long walk. Maybe it would even be a, a drive. Maybe, maybe it would be like a destination far away. And, uh, and Pastor Crawford, if you and I were going to go on this long walk or this drive or to this destination far away, one thing that we would need is directions, Amen. We need to know how to get from here to there. Now, if you were of, uh, of the younger generation, let's say the, the youngest generation in the room, you know how you figure out how to get from here to there. You pull out your cell phone. I see Jackson got his phone up. Jelly got her phone up. You pull out your cell phone. You plug in where you want to go. You don't need to your cell phone where you're at. It's already figured that out. You say where you want to go, and you hit go. It gives you directions step by step. Turn this way. Turn that way. Well, before we had cell phones that could do that, I know it's hard to imagine, uh, especially my youngest people in the room, but there was a time when, when, when cell phones didn't do that. And before there was cell phones that do that, right before cell phones that do it, not long before, but right before there were cell phones that did that, there were these things you used to sit on your dashboard. They were called GPSs. We thought they were the coolest thing ever. We thought they were the coolest thing ever. I mean, I think it was, Garmin had one, and everybody was like, oh, you know, NavNav had, or TomTom had one, right, right? And so you get one, you sit it up on your dashboard, and you tell it where you're going, and it figures out where you're at, and it gives you turn-by-turn -turn direction. Anybody remember those? Anybody remember those? Yeah, you want to remember those. Now, now there's going to be a lot of people who don't remember this one. Before there was a cell phone that told you how to get there, and before there was a GPS that told you how to get there, you went onto your computer, and there was this one special website 
I'm not, I, I'm not endorsed by any website, so I'm not going to say who it was, but there was this one special website, and you would plug in where you wanted to go on that website, and then you would print out directions. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, turn-by-turn directions. And then, you know, it, we had those old-school printers that if you spilt something on it, it all smeared, right? And so you had to make sure you didn't touch fingers or anything, right? And so there you go, boom. All right, so you have like six pages of directions you would take with you. It's kind of crazy. Now, before that... I, I, don't, I don't really remember this. This was before I was navigating on my own. But before that, they had you could buy at the gas station and a rest stop. And they were big. And you could fold them and then fold them and then unfold them again. And before you knew it, you could cover your windshield with this thing. I mean, it was massive. And you had to do some manual work to make this work because you had to identify with the point where you were. And you had to identify with another pencil point where you wanted to go. And then you had to get your magic highlighter, and you had to highlight the roadway to get from here to there. Anybody in the room ever do that? Those were maps. Anybody ever use a real map? Y'all, old. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> all of those things, all of, and thank you for playing along. And those are, those are, somebody went and pulled out their map for real, and they were like, I remember when. All of those things have one thing in common. Watch this. All those things have one thing in common. All of those things, when you dial in where you want to go, where you're at and where you want to go, or when you, when you pinpoint where you're at and where you want to go, you then have to make a whole bunch of decisions about which directions are the right directions for you. Even with your phone, if you took out your phone right now and said, I want to go, and you plugged in wherever it is you want to go, your phone would ask you some questions. Do you want to walk there? Do you want to bike there? Do you want to fly there? Do you want to drive there? Do you want the fastest route? Do you want the shortest route? Do you want the free route? Are you willing to pay tolls? Like it just asks you all of these questions, and you have to make a choice based on all of these options. That's really cool when you're trying to figure out where you're going, point A to point B. But watch this, y'all, because I'm about to get deeper on you. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at it in just a second, but it suggests to us this, that there are no other directions. There's actually only one way. There are no other directions. There's actually only one way. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Somebody say amen when you get there, because I want to know that you're actually getting there with me. John 14, 1 through 6, we're going to look at. Y'all said amen because you looked at the screen. Y'all ain't turned there. I just watched. That's good. John 14, 1 through 6. Let me hear amen again if you're there. Amen. All right, cool. If you're going to read it off the screen, you can say amen too so you can participate. Here it is. This is what it says. This is John 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus is speaking. You believe in God, then believe also in me. Let me say that again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If, it, if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back. Oh, oh, oh. That's, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Now, pause for just a second. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he's giving them this as a gift of encouragement to them. He says, hey, guys, don't worry. I am going, I am going to go away, but, but I'm coming back. This isn't over. I'm coming back. And when I come back, the next time I come back, 
It's because I'm going to bring you with me. The place where I'm going, I'm getting it ready for you. There's nothing more encouraging to think about than the fact that your heavenly father has decided already that he wants to prepare a place for you that you will be with him forever. Forever. Whatever this life has to offer that I'm really excited about, it fails in comparison to what my heavenly father is preparing in advance for me for eternity. And so, yeah, I am excited to be with you here, and I am excited to see my family on the front row, and I am excited to imagine who's behind the screen on the other side, and I am excited for the things that God has set up for us here and now in the temporary side, but it all fails in comparison to what my Father is preparing for every one of us who would yield our life to Jesus, for every one of us who would desire to walk in eternity with God. And so Jesus says to the disciples, don't worry, I'm your GPS. I'm going to get you there. Now Thomas, Thomas, Thomas speaks back to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, time out. I'm in verse 5. Lord, we don't actually know where you're going. So then how can we know the way to get there. I mean, this is a brilliant question. Thomas is like, wait, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. We're going. And, 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 and everybody's rallied, and they're like, yeah, this is going to be great. And Thomas is like, hey, Jesus, I didn't get the directions. I don't actually know how to get there. My map is upside down. My, my, my phone is on, it's 1%, it's going to die. I fear that I'm lost in the shuffle. Anybody ever feel like that? Anybody ever feel like they know they're supposed to know the way? But they just feel like, man, I feel like there's something disconnecting. I'm just, God, I, I, I'm, I'm lost in this. I'm struggling with this. I'm not sure how to read this map. And this is what Jesus says to him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says to the disciples, I am the only way. You need not punch in anything else. There is only one route. Every one of us at times would like to live as if there were multiple options. Every one of us at times would like to live as if the social structures of life define the avenue for which we take to get to our heavenly Father's place. Every one of us at times would like to live as if there were many ways for us to get to the place that Jesus was going. But Jesus has said, not Pastor Ray, not Pastor Charlie, not Pastor Crawford, not Pastor Ricky, not Pastor Scott, nobody else. Jesus said, I am the only way. I am the door. I am the door. 
when I was a kid, I loved to go to the neighborhood amusement park. Y'all ever go to one of these, like the pop-up carnival that shows up in your neighborhood? Y'all know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, there wasn't a carnival there, and then all of a sudden you come out on Monday morning, you're like, whoa, the carnival's here. And it's like in the big parking lot, and you had to go, and you had to convince your mom to buy you a strip of tickets so that you could go get on the ride, or maybe you were before then, and you had to like pay, pay quarters or something to get on the rides, but you, you could only go on a couple of rides. It wasn't like wristband all day. So, I, you know, I used, to, I used to love to go to this little pop-up carnival, and I would be like, all right, mom. Today's the day. I want to go to the carnival. My mom would negotiate back and forth with me, and she would say, at the end, she would say, okay, you can go on three rides. And then I would begin to think real, really intensely, what are the three rides I want to go on? Come on, join me in this thought. Like, if you were to go to the carnival right now, what would be the three rides that you would go on? Anybody have a ride they loved at the carnival? This is your chance to talk behind your mask. Tom, what'd you love? The Ferris wheel, that thing would come into town and it would fold from half to full circle and you would ride around and you would always hope to get stuck at the top so you had a good view and then ride your way back down. That's a good one. Anybody else have something they loved in the carnival? No, nobody else here went to the carnival? Cadence, what do you love at the carnival? The swings. You know, that was one of my three rides. One of the three rides that I loved to go on was the swings. The swings, those swings. Think about those swings. You sit in this chair. It was like a little kid chair, and it, and it has like a lap bar that came down, came down the chains, and it sits in front of you, and there's no seat belt. Think about this. Really think about this. And you sit in this swing, and it goes around and around, and it goes higher and higher. About a year and a half ago, I went with a group of our pastors from our church, and we went down to Florida. Anybody, who, anybody ever been down to Florida to International Drive down in Florida where they had that really big Ferris wheel, that really big one? You know what I'm talking about? It's called at Icon Park. You go down there, you check it out. They got a really big Ferris wheel. And then on top of the big Ferris in addition to the big Ferris wheel, they have the swings, the giant, giant swings. Matter of fact, I just saw a picture of Pastor Crawford and Miss Amy. Pastor Crawford and Miss Amy were sitting side by side in this swing. Now, let me tell you something about Pastor Crawford. He's a brave man. He's a brave man, but he's afraid of heights. He's afraid of heights, and if he wasn't afraid of heights, he was afraid of heights on this ride. This, these swings go so high. Now, when I say high, you can't really imagine it. Just imagine going up. Matter of fact, just close your eyes with me. Come on, close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything crazy. Just close your eyes, I promise you. Now, imagine going up. You're going up. Now you're going up a little bit higher. You're going up a little bit higher. Now you're going up a lot higher. And when you get ready to open your eyes, you can see everything in Orlando. You're so high. You are at the highest point of any of the rides. Can you imagine this? Now, now you're not just sitting there. You're beginning to spin in a big circle. Big circle to the point where instead of sitting like this, you're now leaning like this, right? And now you're spinning faster and faster and faster. And the whole time, your prayer life to Jesus is getting stronger and stronger and you're stronger. You're like, Jesus, get me down because I believe in you or take me home because I'm dying. One of those two things is going to happen here. And eventually you come to rest as it comes back down. You get down and you remember how great the Lord is as you touch the ground again. I love the swings when I would go to, uh, I, I love the swings when I would go down to the, the amusement parks, the, the local carnival, but it wasn't my favorite ride. I love the bumper cars. Anybody love the bumper cars? Come on now. I, I, every one of us loves the bumper cars for this reason. It was the only time you were allowed to run somebody over. 
right? You're just like, I hope I find the one person who can't reach the gas pedal. And I just want to keep bumping into them and bumping into them and bumping into them. It was like you get all of your aggression out in a way that everybody was really happy about. Tom, you love the bumper cars, don't you? That's good. That's good. Garcia, put your mask up, y'all. That's good. That's good. And so that is a great example. I love the bumper cars, but it wasn't my favorite. Let me tell you what my absolute favorite was. My absolute favorite was to go to the, the, the fun house. You ever go to the fun house at an amusement park or at a carnival? What I loved about the fun house is that you would get in a spot where it goes like this, and you're trying to walk, and your feet are like stuck, and, and that was pretty cool. And he had to climb the cargo net, and that was pretty cool. But I loved when you get into the space that had the crazy mirrors. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a thin me, and that's a round me, and that's a long me, and that's a short me, and that was really fun. But my absolute favorite spot in the fun house was to get in the room with 100 doors. You would go into the room, and it would just have doors all over, kind of like this picture. You might not really be able to see it, like just a bunch of front doors. And it would have all these doors, and every door would have a handle, and you would open a door, and there'd be nowhere to go. It'd be a dead end. You'd open another door, and it'd be a dead end. You're trying to find the right door so you could get out of the fun house. And inevitably, somebody would get stuck in there, and they would just begin to cry, and they'd be like, ah! And then they shine the big light on the right door, and then you go open the door and get out. And that was always me. I would always be the one who needed help getting out of the funhouse. But I love this thing because I felt like, man, there's so many doors to try. How many of us treat life that way? There's so many doors to try. So many doors for me to see, is that the right one? Oh, is this the right one? Is this the right one? Is this the right, is this the right one? And we've tried everything else. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, I am the only one. There is no other option. It doesn't matter how many doors you try. I am the only door. I am the only gate because I am the only way to the Father. There is no other option. But some of us, some of us have, for a number of moments, have wrestled in that space as if everything else could define the right path to the Father. There's only one way. Second this morning, those who know him, I'm going to step on somebody's toes today, I'm sorry. Those who know him, they follow him. Those who know him. They follow him. Look, the word follow means this for us. The word follow means to trust him. Young people say this with me. Trust him. Act in response to him. And obey him. The word follow means to trust him, to act in response to him, and to obey him, right? Those who know him, they follow him. If you flip over to 1 John chapter 2, go ahead and turn there with me. 1 John chapter 2. It's almost at the end of your Bible, and John is writing one of three letters that he's going to send to the church, and this is what he says. Did I hear amen? Is somebody there? Not yet. 1 John chapter 2. I'll wait. Okay, all right, I'll take one. First John chapter 2, he says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. We know that we have come to know him. Somebody look at verse 3 with me. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. This, John, John says to the church, we know that we actually know God if we keep or obey his commands. Whoever says that I know him but does not do what he uh, commands, this is the Bible, this is not Ray. Whoever says that I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys God's word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must leave, live as Jesus did. When I was a kid, now this was back in the 80s, you know you were in, no, I'm sorry, I, I was a kid in the 80s, but this was not in the 80s. This was in the early 2000s when I was uh, kind of in my, in my late teen years, and um, they, these bracelets came out. Y'all remember these bracelets? Uh, um, uh, David and I were talking about these this morning, right, David? Right, David, we were talking about these bracelets this morning? There was these bracelets that came out, and they had four letters on them. And these were the four letters, W-W-J-D. Anybody ever have one of these bracelets? Come on, raise your hand if you ever had a W-W-J-D bracelet. Raise your hand if you never had a W-W-J-D bracelet. You never had one. All y'all missing out. they like 97 cents at the, at the, at the Bible bookstore. We're going to get you some. WWJD. Now look, now look. You might think, man, those bracelets—they—they they, they didn't have no bling to them. They weren't really cool looking. They was just a little bit like blah. But man, the the message of these bracelets was really profound. The concept was you would look at this bracelet and you would ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Just imagine for a moment if every time you were about to make a decision ingrained in your mind and in your being was to ask yourself, is this what Jesus would do? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine if every time we were about to make a decision, we would actually ask the question, is this what Jesus would do? Wouldn't we make different decisions? Am I the only one who makes decisions that don't look like Jesus? Am I the only one who struggles with this at times? Am I the only one who goes in this direction and looks back and says, Jesus would not have done that. Why did I do that? Maybe I'm the only one who needs a course correction at times, but, but if you're like me, and if ingrained into your mind, into your heart, and into your response was the question, what would Jesus do? Because John says that whoever claims to live in Jesus must live like Jesus. Whoever, whoever claims to be a part of the family of God then they must live like they're a part of the family of God. Is, it, is this connecting for anybody today? Is anybody sitting out there saying, wow, like, I need to evaluate. Am I living like I'm a child of God? 
Am I lining up? Are my decisions lining up with what Jesus would do? You see, love for God is evidence. Somebody get this today. Your love for God is made evident in your obedience to God. Your love for God is made evidence in your obedience to God. How are you doing with that today? I asked that question at the beginning. You remember the question I asked at the beginning? I said, what is one area of your life that is evidence that you have not yet trusted God with it? What's the area of your life where you're saying, I really struggle to be obedient to God in this area of my life? You don't need to tell me, but your father's listening. Your heavenly father is listening. Spend a moment saying, hey, God, this area of my life doesn't reflect that I actually follow you. It doesn't reflect that I'm a child of God. You might be thinking to yourself, but there's a lot of grace in this world that God gives us, so why is obedience so important? And I think I'm going to round out our message this morning with this. The obedient life in Jesus leads to an abundant life with Jesus. The obedient life in Jesus leads to an abundant life with Jesus. Turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3 in the 20th verse. It's a very familiar one, but you'll find it if you flip there. Revelation chapter 3 in the 20th verse, John is writing one more time and he's telling and recounting the story of the direct words that he receives from Jesus, and he gives this as a testimony of what Jesus says. John chapter 3 in the 20th, uh, Revelation chapter 3 in the 20th verse, it says this, here I am, this is Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Jesus says that if we listen to his voice, we are invited to a meal, to hospitality, to sacred sharing with God. And God promises that our obedience in response to knowing his voice will lead to intimate communion with God. Check this out. If you've been pressing, like feeling like you've been disconnected from the Father, if during this past year when you haven't been able to be together with the fellowship, you felt disconnected from the body, if, if sitting behind the screen you feel like, man, I'm just not really a part of this anymore, God has promised that our acts of obedience in response to actually knowing his voice will lead us to an intimate place with him. He says, if I knock on the door of your life and you let me in, I will come and I will be apart and together we will share this meal. When he talked about sharing this meal and eating together, he was saying, together we will be at the most intimate and sacred places of your life, that together we will share this experience why does it matter that we're obedient? Because Jesus says he has come to give us life, and that life was meant to be abundant and full. How do I have access to that life? I have access to that life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that relationship is made evident in the way that I live. And so my obedience to Jesus 
leads to an understanding of the abundant life that God has for me. Friends, this morning I want to end with asking you these three questions as we prepare for communion. The first question. Do you know God? Do you know God? I want to encourage you. This is not a question that anybody else can answer for you. And the fact that you say, well, I've been a part of church or, or I prayed at one point in my life. Jesus says those who know him, they know his voice. And they follow, obediently follow his voice. And he also said they don't follow anyone else's voice. They don't follow the voice of the stranger. They follow his voice. Do you know God? Second, are there areas of unbelief that are evidence of disobedience in your life? Are there areas of unbelief that are made evident by disobedience in your life? Is there a pattern that you keep running to? Is there a habit that you form? Is there something that your life reflects that doesn't look like Jesus? Because if it is, if there is, it is evidence of a disconnect between our belief, our full engagement in following Jesus. Are there areas of unbelief that give evidence, that are made evident in your disobedience. And then lastly this morning, will you, right now, confess and ask God to help your unbelief? Will you confess those areas and say, God, I, I need you. I need you, Lord. I, I need you to, to redeem these moments in my life. I need you to restore my hope in you. I need you to, again, remind me of who you are and of what you're asking of me. God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I'm going to pray for us. At the end of that prayer, I'm going to lead us into our time of communion. I want to encourage you. Sit in this moment with your Heavenly Father. Jesus, we... We need you. We need, we need you, God. We, 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 need a, we need clarity around who you are. And what does it mean that you're the door and that you stand at the door of our life and that you knock and that if we open the door that you'll come in? What does it mean that you, you're, you're the gatekeeper, that you're the door, that, you, that you, you keep out the evil one, but God, that you, that you also invite us to know your voice and when you open the door that we would obediently follow your voice wherever it would take us. Oh, Father. I imagine there's some of us here today or even watching at home who, who say, I like, I, saved I am, but sanctified not yet. God, I need you. There are areas of my life that reflect a, a disobedient, that are reflected of disobedience, and they point out the fact that I haven't trusted you fully. So God, whatever those areas are, I confess them to you now. I confess them to you, God. Like, like, God, have those areas of our life that we've held back from you. Have those areas where we haven't trusted you. Have those areas that, you, that we haven't given you complete control over. 
eradicate the patterns of our life that don't look like you. Remove those things from our life that continue to bind us up. But then, God, I also imagine there's somebody here who says, you know, I don't, I don't know this God. I know about a God. I've heard of stories about God, but I, I don't know this God. And I want to know him. God, I want to be made right with you in ways that only you can. And this is more than just wanting to have a forever place secure someday. This is about the fact that, God, I need you in my life right now, right here. So, God, while I might not know everything about who you are, I believe this. I believe that you are the only way. I believe, God, that you died on my behalf. I believe that the perfect God lived, died, and resurrected, that I might live, die, and resurrect with you. And so, God, with that limited belief, I just surrender to you. I want to know more, and, and I trust I will someday, but, but I just surrender to you. God, take, take that belief. Capture my life. Save me. Be the Lord over me. Jesus, as you said in Revelation chapter 3, that you stand at the door of our life and you knock, and if we open the door, that you'll come in and you'll commune with us. One of the final acts of relationship with the disciples on earth that you had was sharing a meal. The Bible tells the story that Jesus, on the night before he was arrested, he gathered with his disciples and he took bread and, and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, my body that's going to be broken for you. And they took the bread and they ate and they were reminded of all that they had experienced with Jesus. Friends, this morning I invite you. The body of Christ has been broken for every one of us who would say yes to Jesus being Lord of our life. If you have one of those small communion cups you received from us on the very top, if you open the very top of it, there's a small wafer. I encourage you, take out that wafer. And together, the body of Christ that's been broken for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is, is the new covenant. It's my blood that's been shed for you. And later, the apostle Paul says that whenever we take the bread and we take the cup, we, we're reminded of all that Jesus has done, but we also are reminded that he's promised that he's coming back again. Friends, this meal that we have together, as intimate as it is, it is only a reflection and a dimly lit one of what it will be like when we're in eternity with our Heavenly Father and when we have daily in-person access to Jesus Christ. Friends, the body of Christ has been broken and the blood of Christ has been shed and we are reminded today that that blood covers us, it cleanses us. And, it has, and he has promised that he's coming back again to redeem and restore us.
the body, the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Let's enjoy this moment together. Jesus, you taught us to pray this prayer, and we pray it in the ways that your disciples have for hundreds and hundreds of years. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.